Thank you. My name is Charles Lindenwood. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, family. It's good to be here. It's good to be asked to talk in your home area. Most times when I talk, I'm so far away from home, I can be classified as an expert. <laughs> you folks know me. i got to tell the truth. I've been living in Florida in your area for 14 years, and of course this is home now. You feel a sort of a spiritual aura in this room? It's been wonderful, hasn't it? I thank the committee for selecting the people that I've got to try to come up to. These speakers that we've had up to now have really made this a beautiful, beautiful convention. And I thank those people that have considered me among that group. I, I feel a little inferior for some reason because uh, I know the reason there's not as many here this morning as there was last night. <laughs> Father Peter got them all to go to church this morning. <laughs> I want to go myself. I'm going to talk about prayer this morning, and that's a departure from what I usually talk about. I remember when I first came in Alcoholics Anonymous and and. I was a pretty bad case. I was what they call a low-bottom drunk. They used to point at me and say, keep drinking, you'll be like him. And uh, I thought that was a compliment. I thought that meant I was really in there, you know. If they hung around, they'd get like me. I, I, some, I, sometimes I even forgot I just had two teeth. And uh, I had one up here and one down here, and they didn't match. I had to honk of my jaw, so I, like, like that. And I love Spanish peanuts. And uh, I don't know if you ever tried to eat a Spanish peanut with just two teeth. But it takes about 50 clicks. That's not even counting the times you miss it all together. And uh, there, when a tooth is, is sitting there all by itself, it looks long, you know. It's not any longer, but it looks long because it hasn't got any company. And uh, you don't need a toothbrush. A napkin will suffice. And, uh, I was in such bad shape, I thought that was a social asset. And to this day, I'm not so sure it wasn't, because there's no way in the world that you can grin at somebody with just one tooth and they don't grin back. 
but uh, that's uh, that's a part of my story, and uh, uh, I, I really do want to talk about prayer. I, I want to talk about how impressed I was at my meeting when I first came in on a serious basis. Now, let me explain that. I was brought into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1940, and the people that called on me were two well-dressed men from the Little Rock, Arkansas group, and I was in the state hospital for nervous diseases in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the only therapy they had was water, hot and cold, squirted out of a hose in a bathtub with hot water just full boiling and a cold tub just full freezing. And you got out of line, I mean, you made a little call call. And, and uh, they wrap you in a sheet and throw you in this, they had a big, great big attendant on this end and a great big attendant on this end and dip you in that hot water and seemed like you was there long enough before you even hit it. And then pull you out and put you in that cold water. Oh, that's so good and it was cold and then they pull you out. And no matter how mad you was, you got over it. <laughs> I think that's pretty good therapy. But uh, I got out of that. The psychiatrist that worked on me never made it. Uh, he was a little too far gone after he worked with me. He, he, uh, he asked me one time, said, Did you ever have DTs? I said, I had them when they first come out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He says, uh, he said, I'm going to ask you a few questions and, and you just give me the first answer comes in your mind. I said, go ahead. I knew I was smarter than him. And he said, what would happen if I poke your eyes out? I said, couldn't see. He said, that's good thinking. He said, now what would happen if I cut your ears off? I said, couldn't see. He said, back up. Now we're going to start over. And he said, concentrate. I said, I said I'm thinking. He said, now, if I poke your eyes out, I said, can't see. He said, if I cut your ears off, I said, can't see. He said, how in the world do you come at this conclusion? I said, if you cut my ears off, my hat would fall down over my eyes. I can't see. people in here knew that. <laughs> makes sense. But anyway, uh, that's why he didn't get out. I confused him. And uh, 
things went on, I, I finally got into AA, and they invited me places. Now, I was, I was one of them low-bottom drunks, and uh, I was standing in the middle of my wardrobe and had two teeth and smiled a lot. And they invited me to some nice lady's home where they had a party, and nobody watched me, and nobody searched me when I left. And they let me just walk around free without any attendance. I thought, this is wonderful. And I'm still in the middle of my wardrobe. And they let me go to a dance. And I went, oh, I was having a wonderful time dancing with these pretty little women. We had dirt floor. Just having a grand time. These little old dirty-legged women was friendly and... And uh, one of the guys from AA came over and he said, Charlie, after you dance with one of these nice ladies, you ought to compliment them. I said, certainly. So the next dance I had was with a full-figured girl. And she was fat, what she was. But she was light on her feet and a beautiful dancer. And when we got through dancing, I said, I believe you sweat less than any fat woman I ever danced. <laughs> you can see where I needed some prayer. I remember the first prayer that I said, and this was before the day that I came into AA. I said, Oh Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? And I hear one man back there that knows what that means. There's another one nodding. But anyway, this was from a prayer that I had heard and learned a long time ago. And I remember the second prayer after I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd been sober all day. That is, I hadn't had a drink all day. And they had gotten me a room. You see, I'd been sleeping in flop houses. And somebody got me a room a three-dollar-a-week hall room with a chair painted on the wall. <laughs> there wasn't room enough for furniture and me in the bed, too. But I, they told me about prayer that day. I'd been adopted. You talk about sponsorship. I mean, you know how it is that you try to sponsor somebody and you say, I'll pick you up so-and-so, they say, I got a car. Uh, well, do this, what do you need? They don't need anything. They've got everything. I needed anything you had. Shoestrings. Thank you. Need some shoes to put them in. Anything you had, I needed, and you had to support it, whatever it was you gave me. And I'm, 
I'm thrilled about being somebody. You see, before I came to AA, I was just nobody. I was a lush, a nut, and a lot of other names that I'd learned to accept. But one of you nice members told me that you believed I was an alcoholic. And that just rolled off your tongue. Alcoholic. I was something, somebody. And I didn't know how to pray, but they said just say whatever you want to say to your Father which is in heaven. So I knelt down beside this little bed that was in my room and I said, thank you God for keeping me sober today. And that must have been the right prayer at that time because I got up in that bed and it seemed like I was wrapped in a protective shroud. Nothing could harm me and I slept like a baby. And the next morning, the sun was shining through that old dirty window at the end of the bed and it seemed like God was casting his light on me. And I got up and I had dropped my shoes the night before and one of them had rolled under the bed and I got down on my knees to retrieve that shoe and while I was down there I said God help me to stay sober today and that was the way I prayed at first and then I remembered that my mother had taught me to pray the Lord's Prayer at her knee when I was a child. And I used that word wrong. She prayed, I repeated the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever noticed that in Alcoholics Anonymous, we do not repeat the Lord's Prayer? We do not say the Lord's Prayer. We pray the Lord's Prayer. And we pronounce every word clearly and distinctly, just as if it were the first time God had ever heard it. And it was a direct petition from Him and from us. And it covers everything we need they talked a whole lot in those days about St. Francis of Assisi and his prayer. And I'm sure you're all familiar with that, but in the beginning of that prayer it says, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. I didn't want to be an instrument of anybody's peace. I wanted a little money. I, I wanted uh, to be rich, I, I wanted to be famous, I wanted to be a whole lot of things, but to be an instrument of thy peace. And that kept rolling through my head, and I had been sober for years before, just like a light came on, I realized what I'd been concerned about. Lord, make me, force me to be an instrument of thy peace. 
I don't want to be an instrument of anybody's peace. I don't want to have this and that where those and those are. Where there's hatred, let there be love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to everlasting life. But it was that part about make me an instrument of thy peace that sold me on the fact that this was a good prayer. And I pray that every once in a while now I still have to read it. It never has placed itself indelibly in my heart yet so that I can pray it verbatim. And I can't understand why that is because I love it so much. We have another prayer that we use in Alcoholics Anonymous, the Serenity Prayer. We just said it a little while ago at every meeting. And then we have what we call the Third Step Prayer. It's short, but it's sweet. It's on page 63 in the big book. This is the big book. I got this from the Mississippi State Penitentiary, and they covered it for me in this leather, and put AA in the praying hands, and over here, that's not a chalice, that's two people facing one another, and they explained to me that that was eyeball to eyeball AA, and that's what we're having today, eyeball to eyeball AA. And on the front of this, there's, there's some names. whole bunch of names, and every one of those people are doing life, and on the, what they wrote in there was to one of us, Camp 5 Group, Parchman State Penitentiary, Mississippi. I was accepted as one of them because I had done a lot of time. I got arrested and turned loose and paid out and rearrested and turned loose. I was doing life on the installment plan. <laughs> but this third step prayer is, we were now step three. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may, hear, may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. That's the third step prayer on page 63 in the big book. 
Then we have another prayer. We call it the seventh step prayer. And it goes, when ready, we say something like this. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. And that's all there is to step seven. Step six and seven, and there's seven, just that one short prayer paragraph. Well, when I stood on the day that I became serious, I was in another institution in a psychiatric ward, and I looked over those men that were in there, and I did some constructive thinking. You see, always before when I was in jail, I was in there because of a series of circumstances. Truth was, I got caught. <laughs> and when I was in the nut house, everybody else in there was crazy. I was there because of a series of peculiar circumstances. But on that day, I became aware of the fact that every time I was in jail, I was guilty. I should be thankful for all the times that I was guilty and I didn't get caught. And I knew then that day that those people that were in that psychiatric ward, there was about 60, 65 men, and we were all locked up for the same reason, to keep ourselves from hurting ourselves or someone else. I didn't make a deal with God, but I told God. It was just a conversation with God, just a remark. I said, God, if you ever get me out of this nut house, I'm going back to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I never am going to leave. That was May 15th, 1945. And since that day, I've been active in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I intend to stay active in Alcoholics Anonymous as long as I live, because of you and because of an indebtedness that I owe to you. For it was you and God, the combined effort of you and God, that made it possible for me to come from a, a two-two lousy, I had a few small lice, small but active. <laughs> they set me down on the front row amongst the incurable in AA, right next to the cleanest little man you ever saw in your life. And I'm sitting there scratching and belching and stinking, and these lice needed moving around to make us both more comfortable. And he's sitting there sweating because of me. He got a problem. Me. And 
And you can just hear the wheels turning in his head. Oh, Lord. See, he's praying. <laughs> and he said, oh, Lord, what do I do with this one? I don't want to move and tell him how to take a bath. He might leave and never come back. He solved his problem. He took his cigarette pack out of his jacket and he thumped it. And you know how that pyramid of cigarettes comes out? He offered me the pack and he said, have one. And I took two and acted like it was an accident, you know. And uh, I said, oh, I got two and offered him that one back. I knew he wouldn't take it. I knew it had already been contaminated, and uh, he said, no, you keep it. I already had it in my pocket. <laughs> then he reached in his jacket pocket and took out a lighter and lit my cigarette. And then he lit his own, and then he moved over and took an ashtray and set it in between <laughs> He said, we'll both use this. <laughs> That's human compassion at work. And the definition of human compassion at work is love. And that man was showing me love. He was giving me respect. And I knew what he was doing. I knew that man didn't want to sit next to me and get lousy and that he'd had a hard time figuring out how to do that without hurting my feelings, but I appreciated it. And after that meeting, everybody came up and shook hands with me, and there was a guy came up, a real guy, had perfume or something, smelled good. And he came over and grabbed my hand, I said, uh-oh. And he pressed a dollar bill in it. And he said, I was in the same shape you were in when I came in, buddy. And I knew then what he meant. He was just letting me know that he felt for me something that was other than sympathy. This business that uh, going to, I don't know, see, I'm not talking to the kind of crowd that frequents missions. But I used to go to missions all the time, and there would be different church people on duty. And I, I would look like the wrath of God, and, and uh, I would need anything that anybody had. A kind word would be sufficient. I looked at people's eyes for a familiar face for years, and I'd walk in these missions, and somebody from the church would look at me and take a, a double take, and I'd say, who what will I do with this one? And then come over and say, have you been saved? And I would think, great, day in the morning. If I've been saved, what do the rejects look like? <laughs> I remember one mission that it was, it was during the WPA days in, in California, they had a lot of missions, and they had these guys making 25 cents an hour preaching. And they had this mission, had long benches. 
just one bench after another. And the last bomb that come in sat on the last vacant seat. And up in the corner over here, there was a lady that was doing like this. Three. And three guys would go in and eat donuts and coffee or whatever. And then everybody would move up. Move up. And you wouldn't know what the hell they were preaching about. They changed preachers three times before they ever got up to the front. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they were about to start over when I got up front and this three. I walked in and they had some benches in there and she wanted to know was I saved. And I said, been saved three times this morning. It was that many three other missions. It was raining that day. And she said, Would you like to pray? I said, Well, I will if I got it. She said, kneel down here at this bench. And I had a bottle of wine in my pocket, my inside jacket pocket. And as I knelt down by that bench to pray, it, it hit that bottle and it scooped right out on the floor and they threw my ass out. <laughs> I mean, religion has gone to pot right there. And I didn't want too much to do with that kind of religion. But there was something about the way you people prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I knew I didn't have sense enough to memorize the Lord's Prayer or to conceive of what the full meaning was. So I prayed the Lord's Prayer along with them to the best of my ability, but I wanted to know more about what made your eyes clear. And what made you walk with a firm step? And I wanted to know what made you have something that I wanted and I didn't know how to get it. And I took this prayer and divided it into twelve parts. And the first part of the Lord's Prayer is our. Just the word our. And the first word of the twelve steps is we. We and our. This belongs to us. Not to just you or you or you, but to all of us collectively. And it applies to us and our lives because that's what we're doing here. We're here to prolong and save our lives that were once hopeless and helpless and is now useful. And we know it because people pat us on the back all the time. People shake our hands. People say, my, you're doing a good job. A man with four days of sobriety got a standing ovation last night. Where else in the whole world would a guy get a standing ovation for staying sober? Something he ought to have been doing all the time. <laughs> Our Father. Now, if we can truly and sincerely say, Our Father, what have we said? We've said that God is our Father, your Father and my Father too. If God is your Father and he's my Father too, that makes you and I siblings. And the sibling, the word sibling means brother-sister relationship. And that's why I say, Hi, family. Because this is my family. You're my brothers and you're my sisters. And I love you. And I want you to know it. 
That's why I say high family. It's in the book. It's in the big, big book. Not this book. The big, big book. That establishes a relationship between you and me and God Almighty, our Father. And if you're a little hesitant about getting into the real works of this program, just dwell on those two words, our Father, and what it really means. And you have made a foundation, a strong foundation, upon which to build your spiritual life, because that's what this program is completely and wholly and 100% spiritual, not religious. Nobody has ever asked you what was your religion in AA. Nobody has asked you anything about whether you were this, that, or the other. Nobody really cares. But everybody does want to know if you're doing the best you can with yourself. And that's spirituality. When we say, Our Father, we've determined whom we are addressing. We're praying to our Father. And where is he? With art in heaven. Now, if he's in heaven and we're on earth, we're a long ways apart. And I said to myself, Good gracious, God's way up there in heaven, and here I am down here in this flop house. God's going to have to listen off the coast because there's a lot going on between me and him. And then after a few years, the astronauts went up on the moon and made some pictures of the earth. And lo and behold, the earth is floating out there in the heavens. The earth is a part of the heavens. So God lives in the heavens, sure, and we live in a part of God's heavens. The earth is a part of the heavens. And then the third part is, hallowed be thy name. I, I had to look that word up. You see, I, I was raised in Arkansas, and way out in the country, I mean way out in the country, and, and on Sunday morning, full daylight, we'd hitch up the mules to the work wagon and put some boards across and some toe sacks full of corn shucks so the old folks could sit on them and, and uh, put some hay and grain in for the mules to eat after we got to church. And we would drive and drive and drive for miles and finally get to this church and take the mules the uh, bridle off so they could eat and they would stand out there and stomp and swish their tails and make sounds that mules make. And uh, the kids would be running around playing games, run sheep run and catch and all that sort of thing. And the women would go inside the church with them little daddy type babies and, and then them uh, nursing from the original container. And, and the, the preacher had to holler, and I thought it was, Hollered be thy name. <laughs> but there was a woman in Washington, D.C., thought his name was Harold. <laughs> so I wasn't doing so bad. <laughs> but hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy, revered. 
And did you ever notice that when anybody uses God's name, if they use it in a hallowed manner, in a holy manner, you feel drawn to that person because he has respected your father, your heavenly father, and you know this man is your brother. But if he uses God's name in a disrespectful manner, if he uses it in a blasphemous manner, it sort of builds up a wall between you and him, and you're separated. I noticed that even before I ever came to AA, that there was something about the way the name God was used that impressed me, either favorably or unfavorably. So, thy kingdom come. We'll get to that. That's the fourth part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. We're going to get back to that, just like in the fourth step. You know, the fourth step is the first inventory step. But way on further in the steps, when you get up to the tenth step, you're right back to another inventory. I'll call your attention to that when we get a little further in there. Thy kingdom come. It's like, to me, in, in the beginning, it was like, it's a promise. Thy kingdom is going to come. If you just be patient, God's kingdom will come. And then the, the next part is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've got to be awful patient because earth and heaven, I, I can't quite grasp that, but it's so simple. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, if we're already in the heavens, if the earth is just floating out there as part of the heavens, it's already here. We've been living in God's heaven ever since we were born, and all of our ancestors have been in heaven. We've just abused the privilege and not accepted the reality of God's gift to us. We're the only creature that he created that can think for themselves, that can determine what direction they're going. You can leave this place this morning and go out and do good, or you can go out and do bad. You can go north, south, east, or west. There's no other animal, reptile, insect, no other of God's creations that can do anything but what he was just made to do. You try to get a dog to do certain things, and they still do certain things that you don't approve of. But they certainly do approve of each other by doing them. Snakes do things. We, as creatures of God's will, created in his image, what makes us in his image? Do we look like God? No. I can't see God as a man or a woman. I see God as intelligence. I think of God as intelligence because that's the only thing I can think of that can live forever and ever and ever and grow and expand and become more and more as it lives. The older and older it gets, the stronger it gets. Intelligence. So God has given you some of his intelligence. You'll always meet people that are smarter than you. You'll always meet people that are dumber than you. But 
They're all smarter than snakes and animals and reptiles. So, the fifth part of the Lord's Prayer is, Give us this day our daily bread. There's no way in the world that people sitting here in this audience can confuse give us this day our daily bread with anything but the AA program. That's all we can live. Did, yeah, somebody says, uh, we, uh, we live one day at a time and, and, uh, and they talk about that. And I see no reason to discuss that at all. Is there any other way we can live? You can't live tomorrow. You can't relive yesterday. It's sort of like a fellow asked me one time, he said, you letting your hair grow? I said, did you ever try to stop it? <laughs> you can't live any other way but one day at a time. But the thing here is, give us this day our daily bread. What is your daily bread? Your daily bread is not the same as yours, and yours is not the same as yours. I know Mary's daily bread is that her cancer will be put into remission. I know that. And she's over getting treatment for this. I know another lady that's pregnant, and her bread for today is that she'll have a healthy child with all of its fingers and all its toes and two eyes that see. If you've got a child that's going to graduate soon uh, and needs a dress, your daily bread for the day is that she gets that dress. Whatever it is that you want most that's paramount in your heart, that is your daily bread for the day. And don't ever hesitate to ask God because it's too infinitesimal to ask God. God knows the number of hairs on your head. He marks the fall of a sparrow, and he respects your every need. And he's given you intelligence to get it. And if you're in a condition where you need help, he'll give it. But you've got to have faith. You've got to know. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, that's what we teach. Faith. If we didn't have faith, the next bleary-eyed drunk that comes through that door would be rejected. We have faith in thousands of drunks that are out there that we've never seen. And we know that if they come in here, they'll be all right. And you hear people say over and over, everything's going to be all right. And some drunk, what the hell are you talking about, man? I'm hungry. I am got a place to sleep. Everything's going to be all right. I'm sick. Get me a drink. No, no, you don't drink. Some of you get people to drink. I knew a guy in Washington. He was a saint if ever there was one. And he kept a bottle. He was manager of the club in Washington. And he kept a, a bottle of whiskey. And a drunk would come in and he looked like he was going into the DTs or Rams. He'd pour out a big slug for him. And he'd sit there with him, he said, now sip on that. And he'd go, oh, be gone. <laughs> and it begins by saying, if you are painstaking. And then there's 12 promises. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. However you say it means the same thing. In the elevator a while ago, uh, it was kind of crowded and a guy stepped on my pet corn. And I had a hard time forgiving him that right then. I wanted to step on his foot. That was the first impression, you know. But, you know, if, if you really want to be serene, if you really want to be happy, forgive everybody you know, everybody in this room. Forgive everybody you're going to come in contact with for the next mistake they make. And then when they make it, even though it may be against you, you've already forgiven them, so you can't get mad. You've already forgiven them. I use that as much as I can. I haven't reached the state of perfection yet. I haven't become a saint. And I don't think I'd like one if I met them. Because we're sort of down to earth as people in AA. We've been there. We've been through hell barefooted, all of us, in your own private hell. Didn't make any difference if it had lace curtains or if it had a dirt floor or if it was in some doorway, some hallway or under some loading platform. You were still a child of God and he was looking out for you. I used to wonder when I was being a, a gondola on a freight train and it'd start raining. Oh God, you didn't do this to me on purpose, did you? It's pretty rough riding on a gondola and a freight train. You can't get off. You can't get under anything. You got to do like the animals do. You just got to take it. But it was a good lesson. I don't think that I would have made it if I hadn't have drank every drink that I ever drank I don't think I would have made it if I hadn't had every drunk that I ever endured. I had to do everything I did in order to make it possible for me to accept these 12 simple steps and this beautiful prayer that means so much to Alcoholics Anonymous. Lead us not into temptation. Can you, by any stretch of the imagination, make yourself believe that God, who is infinitely good, would lead you into temptation? No. But let's go with that again. It says, lead us, period, not into temptation. We've been in temptation. We've succumbed to temptation. I didn't know that. I've been sober about, oh, I was getting to be an old-timer. I've been sober about three weeks. <laughs> and I had some folding money in my pocket. I had it folded like this, the long way, and then this way. That four or five one-dollar bill stuck in here, and they, and they wouldn't work out. And you could feel anybody going in after them. And I'm standing in front of a liquor store, and it was all decorated, and that, that beautiful design, that bourbon. I was always, I loved bourbon, and I called it my round-shouldered friend. 
Did you ever notice bourbons always put up in round shoulders, bottle? And, and old temptation. Say, so go on in there and get you a bottle of that, boy. Nobody will know it but you and me. And conscience spoke up and say, yes, you go in there and get a bottle of that, and everybody will know it, including the judge. <laughs> and, and temptation don't quit right away. They pointed over to a bottle of that Dixie Belle gin. You know, that's put up in that frothy-looking bottle. It says, whoo, don't you get you some of that? Just think how comfortable that'll make you. And conscience says, you get so comfortable you can't move. And then there was one of these long drinks, you know, mixed drinks. And, and it had something like celery and radishes. I don't know what all they put in them things. But anyway, temptation says, Whoo, look at that. It effervesces. Wouldn't that taste good going down? And, and conscience says, yeah, but think how it tastes coming up <laughs> in long green strings. <laughs> we gotta, we got to exercise our memory. I was thinking about the first drink of rubbing alcohol I ever had. I'm sitting on a railroad track. I'm sick, been drunk for days, needed a drink. I'm sitting there, high, dry heaves, and some guy comes up and he says, Son, you look sick. I say, I am sick. He said, If you got a quarter, I know where we can get a drink. I had a quarter. I gave it to him, held his coat for security. Much. He went away, come back with a bottle, with, with a package all wrapped up in yellow paper. I don't know where he got it. He opened it up, rubbing alcohol. He took a sip of it, say, here. I read the label. It says, rubbing alcohol. If taken internally, serious gastric disturbances will result. And they did. But I, I took a slug of that and lost it. And he said, man, that ain't no way to drink rubby dub. He said, the way you drink rubbing alcohol, he said, you take just a little bit in your mouth and hold it there till the saliva dilutes it. And then you swallow rubby dub cocktail was my first mixed drink. <laughs> well, that was temptation. I conquered temptation on that deal, and I hope I continue to conquer it, because temptation is going to be with you always. You'll always be tempted. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the evil that we need to be delivered from is something that only you know. 
because away down deep in the dark recesses of your very soul lives some secrets that you don't share with other people too easily. But let me give you a little cheerful something to dwell on. In the final analysis, this program of ours is between you as an individual and the God of your understanding. He is your final sponsor. He is the conscience that lives within you. He's that still, small voice that says no or yes or go ahead or wait. You've got to listen to that conscience. And you've got to remember from whence you came. What made you eligible for membership in this fellowship? And whatever that was, whatever brought you to that invisible line beyond which you could not cross, be thankful for that. Because that's what kept you from hitting the bottom. We talk about bottoms. It don't make any difference what your bottom was or what your bottom hit. There's only one bottom. The bottom is death. Not insanity. Death. You never hit the bottom. You came to a line, an invisible line beyond which you could not cross. And you asked for help. You said, God help me. Or you said something to your power greater than yourself. In some way, you said you needed help. And you were sincere, and God knew it, and he gave it to you. And that's what brought you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place in the world for drunks. We've got the only book that was written by drunks for drunks. We've been infiltrated by a great many other people. I understand at the latest count there was 97 other people using our steps. People are, I had a, a young man the other day come in. Hey, buddy. Came up to me and said, will you be my friend? I said, well, with certain conditions. I had on a necktie was older than him. He said, I need a fix. I said, son, you talking to the wrong man. This is no place to come to get a fix. You go somewhere else, wherever they sell fixes, whatever's wrong with you. But in here, if you're an alcoholic, you come to the right place. But we can't fix you because we don't know where you broke. <laughs> but in here, we, we've got a tool that fits every nut, and I think you won. <laughs> well, we need to be delivered from evil. And evil, as far as Alcoholics Anonymous concerned, you people that have been in AA for a while have heard many times that Alcoholics Anonymous is certainly secure. It's got a beautiful set of steps. Bill Wilson wrote those steps in 35 minutes in bed. Inspired? Certainly. This is an inspired program for drunks. 
the only program in the world that has ever worked for drunks. Stick with it and protect it. We have a, a thing in Alcoholics Anonymous that says cooperation, not affiliation. And we can cooperate with people with anything. We can show them where to go. We can help them. We can walk there with them. We can help them start groups for whatever's wrong with them. But we can't affiliate. Because if a man comes to me with something other than alcohol that's wrong with him, I can be sorry for him. That means I've got sympathy for him. But did you ever see an alcoholic that wants you to feel sorry for him? No. But when you've got compassion for a person, when you've walked in their shoes, they know it and they can feel it. And when you talk to a person at their level with understanding and compassion, they're home, no matter how far down the road they've gone. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Kingdom. You remember we talked a while ago about uh, thy kingdom come? Down here we've come to that. It says, for thine is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. We've been living in God's kingdom all our lives. And all the people that in history have been living in God's kingdom. That's accepted freely and with graciousness. For thine is the power. The power? Oh, what we need is power because we became powerless. And to be powerless means you don't have any power. You run out of gas. And you need power, whether it's a little bit of power or a whole lot of power. You need that power. And that power comes from that God of your understanding, the way you understand him. And it, you notice in Alcoholics Anonymous, we never put a name on our higher power. I call him God, and I, I accept him as intelligence. But it don't make any difference. I was in Africa and I saw some of the, the most spiritual people I ever saw. When I got off of the plane in the airport, there were two great big tall policemen with short pants holding hands and skipping along like that. I said, good God, I run into a whole country of queer. <laughs> and I noticed that as they talked to one another, they held one another's cheek and and took their ear and caressed one another. And after I was there a few days, I said, My God, that's what we're lacking in the United States. Little children do that. Little boys and little girls play together, and they skip, and they hold hands, and they caress one another, and they love one another, and they kiss one another. When did we change? When our mothers and fathers said, Don't hold that little boy's hand. That don't look right. Or that little girl, don't be doing these little things. Don't associate with those people over on that side of the railroad track. Don't associate with them, they're Episcopalian. Don't associate with these people because they're bad. Well, who are we to judge whether a person is bad or not? If we had been judged 
bad for the things that we did, you and me, we wouldn't be here. We'd be locked up in either a nut house or in jail somewhere because you know you've been guilty of things that are not acceptable to yourself, much less to society. So in AA, I notice we hug one another. I got a couple of hugs coming in. I got a couple of kisses coming in. I love that. And and can you imagine a guy? Now I, I got a whole set of teeth. I got an extra set at home. But can you imagine a guy with two teeth? Can you imagine uh, uh, me me looking at a movie? And you know how you project your personality on the screen? And as a lover, you got to have a love or and a love I'd be the love or a two-tooth love or And I'd do fine during the hand-holding and the conversing and the smiling and the grinning, you know, like that. But when it comes to kissing, I couldn't stretch my imagination that far. Because there ain't no way, even if you found a two-tooth love I mean, uh, if you got excited, uh, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd call one another to death. Fight one another. We've all improved. You may have been so wrong for so long, but you're so right tonight. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. How about the glory? You've had people shake your hands. You've had people look at you and say, what a good job you're doing. That is that glory? Yeah, sure, that's glory. I had people tell me, man, you're doing fine. You look good. And I agree with them. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Glory. Yeah, let's, let's don't stop that. There's nothing wrong with that. You are doing a good job. You are defeating a killer disease. You're doing something that the whole world said was impossible to do. Take a person who was without honor. To take a person who had become unwanted. The dregs of the nation. You've become something that the whole society, the whole judicial system, the whole United States, the whole world looks up to. You've conquered a disease. You're the best looking bunch of diseased people I've ever seen. <laughs> Glory. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. Now people will ask you, how long you got to go to them damn meetings? You tell them it's right here. Forever and ever. And then the twelfth part of the Lord's Prayer is Amen. And I swear, I hate to tell you how dumb I was when I came in, but I thought that meant the end. Honestly, I did. But amen means so be it. And so may it be that you and I will continue to meet 
under these circumstances, sober, sane, healthy, happy, joyous, and free. God bless you.